Let's pray. God and Father, we come to you looking at a new adventure in your word, looking at a new day in our faith. And Lord, my prayer is simple that you would feed us today as we open your scriptures. Holy Spirit, take over the moment, every single word, every last part of it. God, you are what we need. And so as we open your word together, would you fill us up so we can go into the world and pour ourselves out in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 starts like this. When Jesus, by the way, this will be our home base for the entire Faith Like a Champion series. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, highlighted, circle it, underline it, and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What would it be like if you and I had a faith that Jesus actually found amazing? What would our lives feel like tomorrow if we woke up committed to living with amazing faith? That is where we're going. We're calling the series Faith Like a Champion. It looks like only half of you are awake right now, so we'll do a little warm-up activity. Let's talk champions for a second. Michael Jordan's a champion, six NBA titles, six-time NBA Finals MVP, 10-time scoring champion, and a 14-time All-Star. Not bad. Serena Williams is a champion. You can make noise if this is your person or like if you're a fan or something. 73 women's tennis singles titles. God bless her. Her sister only had 49 of them. Uh, 23 singles grand slams. That's when you win all of the major competitions in a single year. Four Olympic gold medals. Very good. Lionel Messi is a champion, 40 world title. I had to throw something in there for the soccer people, God love them. And he's a champion. Uh, he's won a World Cup and Olympic gold. I could talk about Tom Brady, Steph Curry, Mia Hamm, Michael Phelps, Jackie Joyner Kersey, among the others. But you guys, if we really want to talk champions, we gotta go back in time to 1996, okay? Millennials unite. The Olympics was hosted in Atlanta, Georgia, right here in the good old U.S. of A. And a group of young women, they called the Magnificent Seven, won the hearts of America. And I could talk about Dominique Dawes and Dominique Luciano, who was my first crush, Carrie Strug, Amy Chow, all of them. But you got to zero in. Okay, young people are looking at me like, who are these? And why do they have these haircuts? What is a scrunchie in the back of their head? And why is it there? No, 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 no. You got to understand what went down. So these, the, America falls in love with these young ladies and, and they all compete at their individual events and they're just going neck and neck with none other than Russia, okay? So, so you have parity there and, and they go back and forth and they're winning golds and silvers and so is Russia and the way they do gymnastics. They go through all the individual competitions and then they have the team competitions where each team sends their best athlete out to compete in their best events. The teams get scores and so this unfolds over the course of a few days and the United States and Russia are neck and neck. It comes down to the very last event. 
Anyone know where this is going yet? There we go, the vault. And everything looks okay because uh, America has two young ladies who are incredibly strong in the vault and won their respective individual medals. It's Dominique Mociano and Carrie Strug. And so uh, Carrie Strug goes up, she vaults and gets a 9.1 and some change. It's not enough to seal the gold medal. So Mociano goes up, she vaults, she falls, meaning that Carrie Strug is going to have to vault one more time to seal Olympic gold. Here's the problem. When Strug landed her first vault, she heard two snapping noises come from her ankle and thought she wouldn't be able to compete again for the rest of her life. Come to find out, she has to vault again for the United States to win gold. And what happened next is some champion level stuff. Check it out. If a little nostalgia and patriotism in the morning does not make you a little more awake, I can't help you, but that is a championship performance. Our question over the next five weeks is what is championship faith? And I take you to Matthew 
8 because I think we find out what that looks like there. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, it says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him there. Uh, that's important to understand. Now, what is going on, okay? We've got to dive into the context of Scripture a little bit, get the fact that we now have Israel living in their promised land, but they are doing so underneath the thumb of the Roman Empire. So you have Israel living in, in what they called Judea. It's modern-day Israel now. Rome is the empire that controls all of that territory, everything around it, and the entire Mediterranean rim. And so the, the Jewish people hated this because they believed that this was their land and God was going to establish a kingdom through them and rule over the entirety of the land through them by setting up some godly king and what one day this Messiah was going to become, he was going to come and he was going to overthrow everybody and, and establish Israel as the one true kingdom forever and ever and ever. And then God would rule everything and make the world a better place. And that was how it was to be. And so in addition to that, as Rome rules, what they would do is they would take retired soldiers as their time was done in active military campaigns and in war. And they would take the soldiers and then they would have them come police the areas. But police is a good little bit of an understatement. We're talking like more like the Gestapo or secret police or in the Hunger Games when they would have those soldiers kind of keep their thumbs down on the different districts. And so you better believe everyone in Jesus's day knew who this centurion was. He led about a hundred other soldiers and it was their job to keep the peace in Rome where they had been assigned. So this particular centurion is assigned to this area where Jesus' ministry is coming and is growing and growing larger. And so you better believe that this centurion would have been keeping an eye on what was going on around this Jesus that they're saying is the Messiah. He's doing these miracles. He's talking about building a kingdom. You better believe that the centurion knew who Jesus was and Jesus and his followers knew this, who the centurion is. And so when he comes walking up that day, all of a sudden the crowd parts, the music stops, the record skips, and everybody looks at him and the group of guards that would have been with him as they walk, the crowd parts, and this centurion is now eye to eye with Jesus. It says, as the verse continues, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. At this, every jaw drops. Everyone looks and they're saying, hang on, hold up, what? And then Jesus says, shall I come heal him? In other words, hold on, what do you want me to do? No one is expecting this interaction to take place. No one is expecting that this centurion would come to the little rabbi from Judea for help, but he does. What happens next is completely shocking. Verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Time out. The fact that this Roman official looks at Jesus and calls him Lord is a telling fact. 
The fact that he would pause, that he would humble himself. This is the voice of brokenness. This is the voice of disparity. This is the voice of a man who had some sort of relationship with this servant. Perhaps they'd been to war together, through battles together, through thick and thin together, and they know one another. And this man does not want to watch this servant pass away. He goes to Jesus and he says, Lord, you could heal him. In other words, I've been watching you, Jesus, and I've seen what you've done, and I've seen the miracles, and I've heard who you say you are, and that you claim to be the Son of God, and you're not just making claims, you're backing those claims up, and I've watched what you did with the fish, and I've watched what you did with the sea, and I've watched what you've done with other sick people, and here's what I know. I don't know who you are exactly, but I know enough about you to, to tell you that you don't even have to go to my house. I mean, you can just do it. Bluetooth and just he we could you dap it up and shake hands and that'll be enough because of who you are the power you have is so great if you just say the word I know that this will be taken care of and then he continues and he says for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Translation. Jesus, I get how authority works. Jesus, I've spent my entire life in the military. And I've come up to this rank where there's now a hundred people who do whatever I need them to do. And if I tell these hundred people I need them to jump, they jump. If I tell this guy, hey, go get lunch for everybody, he goes and gets lunch for everybody. If I tell them we're going to go here and we're going to fight them, they go and they fight. If I tell this guy, hey, go guard this, he guards this. But Jesus, here's what I know. They don't do it because of me. They don't do it because of my height, my weight, my stature. They don't do it because of who I am or what my name is. They do it because of the authority of the Roman government that I work within. I'm a man of authority. I understand how authority works, Jesus, and I'm watching you. I tell men what to do, but you tell nature what to do. I tell men what to do, but you tell sickness what to do and death what to do. And, and if you're able to tell authority, based on my authority, if I can tell men what to do, whatever authority you represent is greater than nature, is greater than illness, and greater than even death itself. And Jesus, based on who you are and what you can do, this will be nothing for you. Now, I want you to get this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell, could you imagine this? He's with the elites. He's with the religious. He's with the people who want to be by Jesus. And then the foreigner comes in and, and he says, Jesus, I see who you are. I know what you're capable of. And he tells the religious people, you guys, you guys, you guys, that's what faith looks like. I've never seen faith like this before. I've met this is what I came to build in the hearts of mankind. This is great faith. It says that Jesus was actually amazed. This is the only time that little Greek word thermudzo was used with Jesus. It's the only time we have it written down that Jesus was amazed. What amazed him was this man's faith. 
Time out. Can we agree on this? Can we agree that championship faith, the goal for our faith, the end game for our faith, the kind of faith that we are trying to build is the faith that would be amazing to Jesus. We could have a lot of gold for our faith, but I'm going to go with the Lord and the Savior being amazed and saying, this is what amazed me. I'm going to go with that and say, my definition of championship faith is what we see unfolding right here. Championship faith, if you want a definition that we're going to use for the next five weeks, it's this. It is to live life acknowledging who Jesus is and trusting His power and promises for our lives. This is, a good, this is good to get down. If you're a note taker, I mean, this is like scribble it in underneath that scripture, put it in the journal for later. A championship faith is to live life acknowledging who Jesus is and trusting his power and promises for our lives. I want you to observe something in this passage. But great faith happened before any healings or miracles. The, the, the faith didn't even make the miracle happen. The faith was this man coming to Jesus with an appropriate evaluation of who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of and living his life accordingly. Time out. Here's why this matters. Look at me. Sometimes we are led to believe that great faith is something out there for these unattainable few. Maybe you had a YouTube thing playing, you heard a worship song here, and you went home, and you put it on on YouTube, and you saw these people, and there was this environment with these really nice lights and loud music playing, and people were just on their faces, like, worshiping God, and you were led to believe that that was what great faith... Man, those people, whatever that is, they've got it. Or you picture some person, you know, and, and they're just down on their knees. They're not even, like, out on, on a weekend. They're just praying in faith that God would do the impossible and that, you know, the gospel would spread and lives would be healed, and, and you were led to believe that that kind of thing is great faith, and the rest of of us kind of just exist and thank God for those holy few who do that. Can I tell you guys something? Listen, I love worship. I love praying for the impossible. I do it every single week. But when I go to Jesus, I see that great faith is much more quiet than that. I see it as a life that is trusting and acknowledging who Jesus is and what he's capable of. Great faith happens in quiet homes on Monday morning when kids are being prepared for school and, and everybody there has a reason to panic and there's a lot to do and so little time to do it and weeks go quick but instead of being given into the chaos and the power and the intensity of the moment you're able to just with stillness do what you need to do trusting that there's a God who knows you and loves you and he's going to get you through the entire week and all that comes great faith is quiet it's Jesus and he's at the temple and there's all kinds of people and they're worshiping and they're giving offerings and they're big gifts and there's trumpets blowing and there's people in robes and at Jesus on that day at that temple he grabs his disciples and he goes guys 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 look 
and a quiet widow, unnoticed by everyone, goes and drops a small offering in a small box in the corner of the facility. Jesus says, she's trusting me. Great faith is walking, knowing that there's a God behind it all who's never going to give up on you. Let's get into this a little deeper. I want you to see something in the passage, but we could build on this phrase. Um, championship faith is my gift to God, not forgetting His gifts for me. Championship faith is my gift to God. It is not something I use to invoke God's blessing in my life. There's a couplet in this passage. Oh, if we're doing Bible study at the coffee shop, you better believe I'd already have the napkin unfolded and I'd have my pen out and I'd be drawing these verses and I would scribble something like this for you to show you what's going on here in the passage. What amazes Jesus is the great faith. What amazes Jesus is the great faith. The purpose, the end game, and the goal is a faith that would be pleasing to God, not to get God to do things that are pleasing to me. This matters, right? Let's talk sports. In every single sport, the team or the competitor knows their goal. Carrie Strug knew her goal that day on that vault. Michael Jordan knew his goal on any given season was to win a championship. Tom Brady knows his goal is to make sure no one ever remembers who Peyton Manning ever was. And our goal in our faith is a faith that amazes Jesus. If you don't believe me, keep turning your Bible to the right and go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, one of the great faith passages in our scripture. And it says, without faith, I would draw this on the napkin for you, it's impossible to do what? Please God. There it is. It's a holy couplet. This does that. That is for this. Our faith is about us pleasing God. And time out. This is important because some of us have been led to believe faith is this thing like if I muster up enough of it, I can get God to do this thing for me. Or if I just had faith and I fit, you know, then the sick person will get well again or the bad thing won't happen to me. Or if I have faith with my finances, I'll take them to God and then God's going to double them and send them right back to me. My God, that is just a recipe for disaster because that's simply not the purpose of great faith. And if we were being honest, I bet some of us in this room have some scars. Because for a time you were led to believe that's what faith is. And you prayed and you gave and you sacrificed, thinking that maybe if I do enough, God will come through. But my friends, if, if that was you, I would tell you I'm so sorry. But that's never what Jesus had in mind when he spoke of faith. You go, Matt, what about faith as small as a mustard seed? It can move mountains and all that stuff. No, no, no. That's talking about the way that the kingdom of God will grow and expand in your life. What about James when he says, but when you pray, you must believe and not doubt. Oh, absolutely. You pray and you believe in the goodness of God and that he's so big, he might have a different end in mind for your life. And if God has it, it's better than anything you could ever cook up or dream up for yourself. Our faith, our end game, the reason we have it is to live life that bless God. Oh my gosh. Uh, here's why this matters. How good could a relationship be 
if it's only based on getting something from someone. For some of us, this could transform our walk with God. You and God could go to new places based on this alone. How good could a relationship be between a father and son if the son's entire approach is what he can get from dad? How good could a marriage be if a marriage happens and it's built on the premise that maybe when we're married, I can extract this from them. Relationships don't work that way here on earth. They don't work that way with God either. Our faith would completely change if it moved from, hey, can I get you to do this, God, to, God, what can I do for you? There's real peace that could happen in your life right there. There's real confidence that can grow in your bones from that position. And all of a sudden, this idea of knowing Jesus could become so much more real. Let's go a little deeper. Championship faith grows through intentionality, not accidentally. You know what? I can tell you about sports is there's never ever been an accidental champion. You've never seen somebody win the Super Bowl and they go running out there to the quarterback and like, hey, did you know you just became Super Bowl MVP? How does this happen? And he's like, well, I was just hanging out with my buddies and we were drinking beers and they told me to go throw a football. And so I went down there and they asked me to play and I just scored a bunch of touchdowns. So I came back next week and boom, here we are. You don't get accidental champions. You don't. We don't get uh, our church host and, and is home to some of our mixed martial arts fighters that are running around San Diego County. And I've never seen a man or a woman in that cage get their hand raised at the end of the match. And it wasn't after a big, long, disciplined grind where they were led to new and deeper places in their athleticism because of the intentionality. My friends, our faith works the same way. You can grow a strong faith. Strong faith. It is something you can have. Yes, you. Great faith. Amazing faith, as Jesus would call it, is not just for some other people out there. It is something that you can have in your life right here. It's something that we grow intentionally. So I want to, I want to tell you how that works. And, and don't worry, like, if you miss some of this, this is where we're going to be going. Uh, let's go to the five things. Now listen, there's lots of things that grow people's faith. There's lots of things that have probably grown your faith. But for the last 20 years, I've been making disciples. I became a Jesus follower... And about three days later, I grabbed three guys I knew. They were two years younger than me. I said, hey, let's study Jesus together. After that, that was, I was asked to turn that into a community group for high school students. After that, I grabbed a few guys from that community group for high school students. On every Friday morning, we went to Alita Jane's on Morrissey for $6 steak and eggs, and we talked about who Jesus is, their plans for their lives. After that, I went to a church in southern Indiana, and I was a youth pastor, and I led leaders who discipled students. And then I came out here, and I've been watching what it is that actually grows amazing faith in people's lives. And it's five things. And they all start, start with a P because I'm a pastor. It's pa practical teaching. 
It is like opening up the Word of God, sitting down in environments where you're not just taught about God's Word, but you are taught to live out God's Word. It's private disciplines. It is when you take that Bible home and you open it up through the week, four times a week. There's this crazy study that got released. Four times in Scripture a week can transform everything about your emotional health. It's the discipline of giving. It's the discipline of praying. It's providential relationships. It's people that God brought. Can't, come on. If, if I made a chart of your life spiritually and you showed me every down that you've experienced and every up you've experienced, couldn't you point to people who were behind those downs and ups? It's relationships. It's personal ministry. That's when you actually begin to intentionally serve others. And it's pivotal circumstances. It's those make or break moments in your faith when you choose Jesus in spite of the circumstance. That's where faith is found. And I'll, I'll tell you a couple important things about this. Number one, you and your family and those you are responsible for need to take time and spend time in environments where these five things happen. I came out here uh, in 2013 and our church was about the same exact size then as it is today. And so we had to be really, really intentional about how we were going to disciple students. We're like, okay, if we put middle school service down there and they're partying, they're jamming, they're doing their thing and there's a bunch of middle schoolers having a good time, but there's no drummer right here, uh, that's going to be a problem for the church because there's only so many people who can play the drums to go around. So how are we going to do this? And so we said, what if we just throw everything we've ever learned about student ministry out the window and we just focus on these things? And we said, hey, we want to find a, a way to teach kids. We want to teach kids to get in the Word. We want to put great leaders in their lives. We want to turn them loose to do ministry and we're going to be there when anything happens to them. Out came Student House, which is why I'll say again, August 10th, our student ministry is relaunching. It's going to be so cool. I feel better about, listen, I'm the godfather of Momentum. I, I will humbly say I'm the godfather of Momentum student ministry, and they've got something better than I could have ever done in my entire life and ever dreamed about. Lucy's got one year till she's there. I can't wait. I might start sneaking her in. It is going to be good because this is there. This is important because this can be diagnostics for you. When we feel off or weird or slow or stuck, what would it be like if you just pulled this little list out and you're like, hang on. Oh, yeah, I haven't opened my Bible in a month. I'm hanging out with a bunch of duds. And life just stinks. Okay, I know what's going on. And you could actually rebuild your own faith in real time. This is where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. And we're not just going to go, hey, number one, do this. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about how Jesus did it. We're going to talk about the why behind it. And how in a busy world here in 2022 in Southern California, you actually live life like this. We're going to build faith. And we can wrap on this. Band, you guys can come up real quick before we go out and feast and party together. We'll wrap on this. I, I want you to think about this. And I want you to imagine your life with amazing faith. Like, what would it be like if you walked with a faith that amazed Jesus and made your life strong and stable and secure. 
What would it be like to have the kind of faith where the doctor could call with the test results and you could handle the call and you weren't really that worried because you had so much trust in the one who was really holding you? What would your life feel like if you had a real faith as an anchor for your soul where it didn't really matter if everything around you was complete chaos. You walked with confidence because you believed in who Jesus was and his promises and his power that were available to you. What would it be like to wake up with that Monday morning faith with the to-do list and goals and plans and places you have to be, but it wasn't an overwhelming situation because you know what? I'm going to walk right into this week with the one who raised from the dead has filled me with his spirit and is watching over me as we speak. What would it be like? What would it be like if your kids one day or your kids' kids walked with amazing faith and they wanted it because they had first seen it in you? And you sent kids out into their day-to-day lives with security and strength. They weren't blown around by the latest hysteria about who they should be and what gender is supposed to be doing in their lives at any given rate and stage. And they don't even care about the crowd because they are anchored in amazing faith. What would your life look like with less panic, less confusion without overthinking and angst when things are good or when things are bad it doesn't change you because you are so connected to the power and promises of Jesus that's where we're going that's what we're here to build let's pray God, would you just bless, would you anoint, would you pick up and carry this journey? We want to be a church that is marked by amazing faith. Jesus, we want to live to make you proud. We want you to think of momentum. We want you to think of us and be amazed. That 2,000 years later, there's a church who's clinging to you. That 2,000 years later, there is a church filled with people and real lives that are still built on your goodness, your grace, and your gospel. Lord, we ask you to bless us with that kind of faith. We ask you to fill us this month As we look at amazing faith, would you be our leader and our guide? In Jesus' name, amen.